The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Happy Monday, friends. Happy, happy Monday. First Monday in June. How about that? Yeah, it's already... I know we started June last week, but it's a new week the first full week of this month, and there's stuff going on. There's good stuff, there's bad stuff, there's crazy stuff that happened over the weekend, and we have a lot to discuss today. We have much to discuss today. I'm hoping to get a call from our friend in London, Simon Owen. He reports on Fox News Radio. He's a guy you hear giving some updates all the time. Um, and I've I've come to uh, be a phone pal with Simon, so I asked him to call this morning. And we are going to talk to Dr. Wendy because it's a Monday, and Dr. Wendy is going to join us to point out some of the things in the hypocrisy of the progressives of this world. So I'm looking forward to that. That's in the third hour. Uh, we're going to have some fun with Al Sharpton today. It has been so long. Do you know, Al Sharpton, when he used to have a daily show, I actually used to enjoy watching Al Sharpton at 5 o'clock in the evenings because when he would do a live TV show, he would destroy words and names on a regular basis. And now that Al Sharpton does a show on Sundays, now that they've taken away his daily show, and they put him on Sundays, he really doesn't make mistakes too much. Except when we have something horrible happen and he has to do the show live, which is apparently what happened this past weekend. And of course, that leads us to a golden Al Sharpton moment. It's just wonderful. I know it's schadenfreude. And uh, let's see. Uh, So we have Dr. Wendy in the third hour. We have hopefully Simon Owen this hour. Uh, At the bottom of this hour, I believe we're going to hear from Eric Stackelbeck. Eric Stackelbeck, a guy you may have remembered from the early days of the Blaze television, and now he's involved uh, with a, a really important project with uh, KUFI, Christians United uh, for Israel. So Eric is uh, Eric's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. He's the director of Christians United for Israel's Watchman Project. 
it's on Friday nights on TBN. So uh, we'll, I want to talk to Eric because Eric understands a lot about what's going on, not just in, in Israel, but also in, in London. Eric was the guy who introduced me to the radical Islamic cleric Adnan Chowdhury, a guy who the Brits eventually locked up. But for decades, he was encouraging people to abuse the system in London. Well, they didn't consider it abusing it, but it technically was. He wanted uh, radical Islamists to populate London to the point where they would flood the social services needs. It's the old uh, top-down, bottom-up that, that um, Cloud and Piven gave us. It's that theory, that if you, if you just have enough kids and you put them all on welfare, you'll eventually overwhelm the system. and It will fall within itself, collapse on itself. Chowdhury was the guy who considered the British welfare system the payment to the Islamists by the infidels. But uh, Eric Stackelbeck, be on with us at the bottom of the hour to talk about that whole story. If you want to join the conversation, you should. 888-900-3393-888-900-3393. If there's a, a topic that we missed that you want to discuss, of course, we'll get to it. The president uh, started a bit of a press conference as we began the show He's announcing some, some new changes. I, I think this is going to be um, related to the infrastructure programs he'd like to get going, but he also wants to privatize air traffic control. I don't know if I want to hear about uh, air traffic control and all the problems our current air traffic control system has on a day when I'm supposed to be flying in just a few hours. I don't know if I needed that today, Mr. President. You know, so may, maybe maybe not the day you could have done that, sir. Well, there, you know, we're not going to change it. We can't get, can't get away from it. Uh, so it's going to be a busy day. Lots of topics. And there's a bunch of crazy news. There's a whole bunch of crazy news out there as well. I, I'm not just talking about crazy news when I talk about uh, London and the shooting in Orlando this morning, which currently... Currently, we believe actually is or was workplace violence. This is or was workplace violence. So let's not let's not panic about Orlando yet. Nobody make any uh, quick decisions, any rash decisions on that. It just just could be based on what we're seeing. The case of a former employee, a guy who was fired, uh, I think they said two months ago. Going nuts. Not good anyway. Either way, it's a terrible situation. Oh, is he on? He's on. Okay. Joining us from London, Simon Owen, who you may have seen reporting on, on everything last week from, uh, from Manchester and this week from London. He works usually Monday through Friday, so he hasn't had a weekend off in a couple of, uh, couple of weekends, and God knows when it when he will get one, but Simon is uh, on the phone. Simon, I guess, I guess you were in fact hoping, hoping you would get a uh, a long weekend sometime soon. <laughs> it would be nice at some point to get one, but uh, but but not to be. No, it's not. It, it, I'm I'm 
my heart bleeds and cries and feels pain for my friends in London. We have we have several. We're not we're not like an international couple, but we've been there a few times. So when when something happens and we go, God, we've been there. We know that area. And when you hear about uh, you hear about the section where the uh, the restaurants were and the attack happened. You say, Wow, you know that could have been. And you don't want to be that guy, but you know it, so you feel the pain for the people. Oh, what's London feeling like today? Yeah, I mean, and I think it is a common sentiment for people. If it is somewhere that is relatable to, then it does bring it home, the, the danger that potentially is out there. And, and we're learning a little more about uh, the people who were caught up in the violence on Saturday night. Seven people killed, 48 injured. Uh, and we're told from various governments around the world that people from Spain, Australia, and France are at least feared to have been caught up in this. And the first person killed to be identified uh, is a 30-year-old from, from Canada. So uh, this is a, a, a cosmopolitan, diverse area. Many people would have been out visiting, I suppose. In London, also many locals would have been out as well. And you have to assume that it's probably why it was targeted. Uh, it was just after... 10 p.m. On, on Saturday evening uh, in this area, which is, for those who don't know it, it's called Borough. It's right next to London Bridge. It's on the south side of the River Thames, but it's pretty much central London. And uh, particularly at the weekend, it's an area for socializing. Lots of bars, pubs, and, and restaurants there. Uh, this attack began when a group we now know of three men drove a van into pedestrians on London Bridge. They then crashed the van, got out, and began, by the looks of things, walking quite calmly between pubs and, and restaurants and with large knives simply slashing out at people mm -hmm. and stabbing people as well. Uh, seven people were killed. Uh, the latest count, I think, is actually, I say 48, I think it's 36 are still in the hospital, and, and the officials are saying that 21 people are critically injured. The attackers were all shot dead by police and the police here are being widely praised for their response to this because from the first emergency calls they received within eight minutes all three attackers were dead that's remarkable we we heard that here and we just went just for the fact that in the past we've seen how long it takes to track down some of these guys when they get away but that simon that that reality of the remarkable fast response from your first responders, your London police, to the stories we've heard of people in those restaurants defending themselves and fighting against those attackers. I have to tell you, there's there's bravery and courage that I don't know if I could do the same. I, I might be running the other direction, but the stories are harrowing. The Now we're hearing, I have to also praise your prime minister, and I know she's in the middle of the election. I'm not taking sides. But for her to hold tough on not giving out the names of those people, because if you look at social media, and you do, if you guys don't follow Simon, he's at Big S.O. on Twitter. The social media is saying, why don't we know the names? Why don't we know? Because London is handling this. Let them handle it. And so I'm, I'm really happy that that you guys are being tough and tight with information on this. How often do you get updates? Uh, well, from the various authorities, it's as stuff becomes available and is made made available. What we've heard in the last hour or so is that the police have said that they 
uh, have now identified all three attackers, and the Prime Minister has said that when it is, as you say, when it's suitable for the operation, they will do that. You often get conspiracy theorists. I, I get it on social media as well. This is a plot. They're keeping the name secret. They're not. It's an effort to uh, give the police a bit of a head start uh, when they're tracking down suspected accomplices. Uh, we know the identity of one of the attackers, uh, we think. We're not broadcasting it yet at the request of the police because, you know, there is an, an understanding there that this gives them a chance. If you put the names out there, then all their associates can hit the ground and, and disappear. I suspect the names will be published probably in the next few hours. They, they don't tend to hang around with, with this sort of thing. It's just to give the police a bit of a head start. And, yeah, you talk about some of those stories of, of bravery, uh, and, and it is interesting. You know, I was down at the scene yesterday, and you hear some extraordinary things. You know, police are talking about one off-duty officer who just finished his shift and was having a drink with friends. Uh, he was seriously injured after tackling the three terrorists with his bare hands. And these were heavily armed men with, with big blades, I say. Uh, another officer who was on duty confronted the group. He only had a baton as defence. Uh, he was also seriously injured. We heard about a baker who was working and heard a commotion outside, left his bakery and struck one of the attackers over the head with a crate before returning to the bakery and giving about 20 people shelter and pulling the shutters down. Um, this is the sort of thing where, you know, we, we are starting to hear, as I say, that the, the identities of some of those caught up. And, and, and so far, uh, in the, 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 the statement from the family of the 30-year-old Canadian woman who was killed, you know, their call is for unity, for people to uh, not be scared, not be confrontational about this. Uh, but in this case, she was somebody who worked for a homeless shelter. And so this family is saying, why don't you go and volunteer at a homeless shelter uh, as a way to, to remember her? That's the sort of message. It's messages of compassion is broadly what we're hearing. I spoke to a lot of people yesterday um, who were shocked and baffled about what had happened. Uh, some said the authorities are, are not doing enough on terror suspects. But, but all the people I spoke to said, this will not change our way of life. Thank you, Simon Owen. Simon Owen in London, our buddy and uh, also just a hell of a reporter. We appreciate you, sir. Have a great day and God bless London. Thanks a lot. There he goes, Simon Owen. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he is at Big S.O., Big S.O., which I think is kind of funny because he's not exactly a big guy. He's, he's diminutive. Little guy, as it were. But Simon Owen, uh, he, he was last week in Manchester. This week he was on the ground all over the event, the unfortunate event in London, which was terrorism, unlike from what we're hearing this morning in uh, Orlando. Although, because we've been monitoring the terrorist attacks since the start of Ramadan, the holy month of Ramadan, and we still have, I think, about two and a half weeks left in Ramadan, uh, there was one apparently in Australia today, and there is a report of a wedding in Spain where a man yelled Allahu Akbar and went charging at the priest. So that's a little disturbing, to say the least. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, uh, again, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm anticipating there's no big deal that came out of the Orlando I hate to say it's just workplace violence because four people ended up being killed and then the attacker reportedly turned the gun on himself. So uh, much more to come in that story. Stepping aside for a break. When we get back, oh, I got a couple of different stories to get to before Eric Stackelbeck joins us at the bottom of the hour. This is Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network. 
Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. You know, we have a couple things to discuss today. We will we will be talking with Eric Stackelbeck right around the corner, uh, not just about Israel and what's been going on with the possibility to move the, the capital from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, because that's important to a lot of Christians, a lot of evangelicals. But uh, we're also going to talk about that problem with chronic pain. I'm talking about relief factor. I am now finishing up three months, three months of, of relief factor, basically 13 weeks. And I'm taking it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Relief factor is all natural. It's an anti-inflammatory. It comes packaged so that you just put the packages in your in your computer bag or your purse or wherever, your tackle box when you go fishing, and you take them at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. One packet, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. In, in my case, I had pain every single day, basically. Knees, hips, back from years of running. And I'm in my late 50s, so guess what? I had pain. I thought it was the reality. Well, I stopped taking over-the-counter painkillers. I don't take prescription drugs at all. And I started taking Relief Factor. I got the three-week quick start pack. It's $19.95. Eight days later, I'm seeing all this, all this irritation from the inflammation go away. No pain. I'm not taking anything. Nothing. So why are you waiting? Call them. 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. Eight three eight four. It is Relief Factor. If you want to know more, go to relieffactor.com. All right. So where do we go? We got a we got a couple of different things going on here today, and um, one of them has to do with some really awful, stupid stuff said by uh, Mika Brzezinski and and Joe Scarborough. And we talk about respecting the presidency, and in the case of Mika and Joe. I just don't know if they ever will. They'll, they used Trump when he first started, but now, now it's, it's really all about making fun of Donald Trump. And last week, after Sean Spicer gave that ridiculous explanation about Kofefe, uh, these two went on television and were so insulting to the president, I, I almost couldn't believe I was hearing it. Listen to this. No, nobody no, knew what he meant. Sorry. Nobody he knows really what he means. D- what is that like, Joe? Oh, he does. I don't know. I would never do that. <laughs> I think I would you rather said eat. something before the I show would that really kind of like summed it up. Uh-oh. You know what you uh, said. What was that? You said it's like... What did I say? It's like... Like... Oh! Oh! Oh, <laughs> Like a yes, kid pooping yes. their pants and then saying I meant to do that. that. <laughs> yeah. 
So Mika says that Joe, before the program, compared Trump and Kofefe to a kid pooping his pants and then saying, I meant to do that. But they didn't let it go there. <laughs> well, yes, I, it, it's, it would be like somebody pooping their pants and then people looking at it and saying, oh, that's modern art. Don't you understand? I am making a statement against Russian aggression uh, in, in, in Crimea. Wow. And so this is wow. my statement. And if you don't get it, and we then there's something wrong with you and not me. Uh, Thank you, Spicy. Everybody knew what it You meant. go, I'm going to make another statement, and I'm going to sit down in my pants. And it, is, it will then be modern art. And I will hang it on your wall. And this passes for entertainment and, and news programming on MSNBC. Can you imagine if anybody talked about something Barack Obama did and said he pooped his pants and said he meant to do that? I know. I know. All right, I'll take a break. We'll be back with Eric Stackelbeck next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, we're waiting on uh, Eric Stackelback. He's uh, not answering his phone, which means he's probably busy doing something. And we'll see. We we connected on Friday, so I'm sure he's out there. I'm sure he's going to be speaking with us shortly. And if not today, we'll move him a, a day or so. I saw something over the weekend that I, I don't think anybody picked up on, or at least it wasn't a gigantic bit of news. Uh, it, it was um, it was the NCAA college rugby. NCAA means college, Mike. It was the NCAA rugby championship. And uh, I, I know it's kind of bizarre, but I'm a, a rugby fan. We had rugby at our school in high school. And something that a lot of people didn't have in high school because it was either football or nothing. And uh, rugby became a thing in the, in the 70s in our high school, and it kind of stuck with me. So whenever the uh, college rugby championships are played, they, they seem to be played here in the East, and uh, they take place at uh, Penn, University of Pennsylvania, in Philly. And it's a fascinating game because it doesn't take a lot of time. You can see a lot of great sports action. And uh, if you spend a little time and figure out rugby, it's a fascinating game. But something, something special happened over the last month in the, in the world of college rugby, in the world of the upper tier of college rugby. And it was a little bit of a tragedy, and yet there's some inspiration that can be drawn from it. University of California has a player named Robert Paler. And um, Robert Paler, one of the members of this team, there's so many stars on that team, so many great players. He was playing for the team, Cal, and um, he, he ended up 
in a, um, a bad hit on May 6th. So it's really not even a month, just shy of a month. He got a hit that paralyzed him just below the chest. And Robert was taken and, um, well, he had surgery. And he's, he's now going to have to deal with the rehabilitation. I'm, I'll, I'll tell you the, the rest of the story because I understand uh, we have um, Eric Stackelbeck on the phone. And I, I don't want to lose him because he's, <laughs> he's a very busy man. So we'll get back to the story of Robert Paler because it's an, it's an impossibly important story. I can't stress it enough. Eric, I appreciate you. We had time zone confusion, and you're here now, and I'm happy you're here. How are you, sir? It's been too long. Hey, Mike, I'm great. I am so sorry. It was my fault with the time zone confusion. I'm kind of upside down after this London attack uh, on Saturday, uh, as I know we'll discuss today. But great to be back with you. Oh, it's great to hear from you. If If you guys don't remember, Eric... Early days of the blaze, Eric was uh, around us all the time, on with us all the time. He's very busy now as the director of Christians United for Israel's Watchman Project, which is uh, also puts him on TV every Friday night at 10.30 Eastern on TBN, The Watchman Show. So I know how busy you are, Eric. I was telling people earlier that you were the guy who introduced me to Adnan Chowdhury and the, I think he's in jail now, the cleric who was yes. for years advocating Muslims come to London, overpopulate the place, and, and tear it down from within. And every time yeah. I see a terror attack and a report like we got this weekend, I think about your early interviews with Adnan Chowdhury, and I still get a yeah. chill up my spine when I, <laughs> when I hear him talking to you. Uh, yeah, Mike, you... it's, 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 yeah, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's so interesting that you bring him up. I think of him, too, Anjum Chowdhury, every time. And we highlighted those interviews on The Blaze back in the day, Mike, as you said. But I think of him, too, every time there's an attack in the U.K. He is in prison, but just a few minutes ago, I read a piece on foxnews.com, actually, uh, saying that he still, his teaching, his preaching may have inspired one, at least one of these attackers from Saturday night. So Anjum Chowdhury, uh, he's like a jihadi vampire. His, uh, his reach extends even beyond the jail cell and is still radicalizing young Muslims in London, in the UK today. Well, I wonder, and, and, and thank you for, I, I tripped up on his name, Anjum Chowdhury. If you're looking for it on YouTube, you can see some of Eric's interviews, and they will chill you too. Uh, he looks by by every measure to be a professional businessman he was always well dressed his beard was trimmed and yet the words that came out of his mouth were all about tearing down the west so he i think he is the prototypical drop the radical pose for the radical means and you know that that kind of stuff scares me but now that he's in prison eric he's probably continuing to radicalize or convert more folks if he's in general population do you know where he is i'm not sure where he is mike that is a great question uh, but i'm sure he's the kind of guy who does not keep his beliefs to himself to say the least and you know now we see the bitter fruits of it, it really mike what we have right now 
uh, developing in the UK in places like France and Western Europe is almost an insurgency-type atmosphere where ISIS, its supporters, its sympathizers, they want to turn Western cities into mini guerrilla war zones where you're seeing attacks on a regular basis, London, Manchester, Nice, Paris, Brussels, Germany, again and again on a regular basis, and they're having great success. Look, this is a very successful strategy, low-tech, inexpensive attacks with maybe one, maybe three, four, five uh, people involved, car rammings, uh, guns, stabbings, low-tech, but, man, very effective, I'm sad to say, causes, number one, the psychological terror. And in terms of a guerrilla war zone type atmosphere that they want to create, Mike, look no further than thousands of British troops on the streets right now and thousands of French troops on the streets in Paris. Yeah. And it's it's not just going to do, as you've said, the psychological damage to the people who live and work there. It's also going to do the economic damage that they want to do because every strain on the system brings it closer to coming down in their minds. And in many cases, they're not wrong because they are stressing an already stressed system when they're doing both the social, uh, the social um, programs that they zap Mm -hmm. and now they're going to zap the governmental costs. Uh, Eric, I don't want to, you know, I know you've only got a limited amount of time. I don't want to lose. I have a couple questions for you. When you saw the president's announcement about, putting the move of the embassy, the U.S. embassy in Israel, on hold temporarily from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Uh, I know your connection to Kufi. Do, mm-hmm. Was there a big letdown in that community when they heard that, that move? Yeah, I think, I think it's twofold, Mike. I think, yes, absolutely, we were disappointed. I, we made that clear to the administration. There was a letdown. But I think... On the other hand, President Trump, Vice President Pence in particular, have been very friendly to Israel and to our concerns and our viewpoint. And he signed the six-month waiver. Uh, I believe, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe he is eventually going to move the embassy. Uh, I think that is going to happen. Not right now. Uh, he did sign this waiver, which was disappointing, but I do believe he is going to eventually move the embassy. He made the promise during the campaign. So far, he's been pretty true to his campaign promises on a number of issues. And I do think he's going to move the embassy. The hesitancy, Mike, I think came, I saw a turn during, uh, or following, I should say, his February meeting with King Abdullah of Jordan uh, here in D.C. And I think King Abdullah really worked on him and said, hey, don't move the embassy right now. It's going to cause a firestorm in the Middle East. And my response to that is, there's already a firestorm in the Middle East. How can it get much worse than it already is? But <laughs> I think that kind of gave the president pause, and he's kind of he's given a try right now to you know the peace process. And I think the other thing with him is he's trying to kind of put together an Arab NATO, I guess you would say, with the Saudis, the Egyptians, the Jordanians, the Gulf states against the likes of ISIS and Iran. So I think he's got all that going on right now. But I do think eventually the embassy will move. Well, that's good to hear. I I also believe that the evangelical Christians will want to hear that, too. They supported him so strongly that to have that promise broken, I think, would hurt that relationship. Now, Eric, before you get out of here, what are we missing on on your Friday night show on TBN, and what do we need to look for this week? Yeah, Mike, I think the cool thing about the show is we're on the ground. We're on the ground in the Middle East. I'm in Israel at least four times a year. 
uh, getting great stuff. This week's actually a very interesting show. We have the 50-year anniversary right now of the Six-Day War. Hard to believe. During that war, Israel reunified Jerusalem, uh, took the Golan Heights, took the Sinai, which they later gave back to Egypt, uh, Judea, Samaria, the biblical heartland, the so-called West Bank. Israel expanded its borders big time during the epic Six-Day War. So we look at the 50-year anniversary of that, the ramifications of that. We're on the ground in Israel this Friday night, and we're talking about the reunification of Jerusalem, the embassy. We actually also get into the recent terror attacks in the U.K. a bit. So good stuff every week. We're bringing you the security perspective on the front lines, but also getting into the very cool historical kind of stories. I know Glenn would love, and, and the Blaze viewers love, biblical history and uh, really fun stuff. Well, we love all history. I'm, yeah, And speaking of Glenn, uh, before I cut you loose, I'm hosting for Glenn Thursday and Friday. If you have time Friday, I'm happy to work you into his schedule. And uh, let's talk about the show that night. Sounds great, Mike. I'd be. I'd really appreciate the opportunity. That sounds great. You got it. I'll connect with you when we're done here. Eric Stackelbeck, you can good, follow Mike. him on Twitter. You can also watch Eric on uh, TBN Friday nights at 1030. Thank you, my friend. Take care. And there he goes. He's off into the abyss. And here I go. We'll be back after a break. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. While I was vamping for time waiting on Eric Stackelbeck, and I'm glad we got him, I was beginning to tell you the story of Robert Paler. He was part of the University of California rugby team, the team that won the college rugby championships this weekend. It's a tournament that's held here in the Northeast in Philadelphia. And uh, the team won the fifth time in a row that Cal has won the college rugby championship. But as I was saying, on May 6th, one of their members suffered a devastating sports injury that paralyzed him from the chest down. And the day of the injury, they took him in for surgery to try and help him, to try and regain movement. This 21, 22-year-old kid looks like he had his whole life ahead of him. And one freak incident on, on the rugby field apparently is going to leave him paralyzed. Robert is really strong and in the GoFundMe page is described as a, a young man with incredible faith, a wonderful family and friends to help him. However, it's going to cost a ton of money. The GoFundMe page says the Christopher Reeve Foundation says the average expense for a first-year high tetraplegia can be about a million dollars. So somewhere between 770000 and a million dollars for that first year of care. And right after the injury, this was posted... And I can tell you, they, they set a million-dollar goal. They're up to 662000 So if you, if you do so, if you are so inclined, 
Robert Paylor, P-A-Y-L-O-R. Robert Paylor is his name. There's a healing and rehab fund on, uh, on GoFundMe. The emotion in his, his coach's voice, you, you can't hide it. They, these guys had just won the college championship. It's like winning the NCAA title in any major sport. And, and yet there's no Gatorade toss. There's nothing. There's just the raw emotion on the sidelines. Here's the brief interview. Yeah, and I think Jack Clark summed that up best when he said, we're here in body only, but you do win the tournament, Jack. But how far, honestly, was rugby from everybody's mind the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty professional team in the fact that, you know, they can take care of business, and um, I'm really proud of how they've done it. <clears throat> I know it's an emotional time for you. How close were you guys not to even coming to this tournament, Jack? I mean, I mean, we thought about it long and hard, you know, just because, you know, we just – we just couldn't imagine going back and playing more rugby right then. But made the decision that we were going to um, meet all of our commitments, play it through. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy for the guys. They've shown a lot of will. And I know they were they pulled a lot of courage out of uh, Robert Paylor. I know you guys talked about you didn't want to have the theme of winning it for Robert. But now to be able to carry a trophy back home to him, the significance of that, Jack. Well, he, he'll be proud that we played hard. He will be. You can see the tears welling up in the coach's eyes. And it's, it was a, a remarkable story that I didn't expect to stumble into. And yet um, I'm a rugby fan. So I, I just happened to tune over during a break yesterday afternoon. Rehab fund. If you're on GoFundMe, I'll tweet out a link to it. If you're so inclined and you care and you can do what you can. Michael Pelka on Puro Pelka. We'll be back after the break. This is Puro Pelka with Michael Pelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Second hour of the show today. One hour from right now, Dr. Wendy joins us. Dr. Wendy Patrick will be joining us to talk about, ooh, we're going to talk about some juxtaprogressivism. Nothing like an 11-syllable word on a Monday, is there? Is that 11 syllables? Juxtaprogressivism. No, it's not even close. But it's a, needless to say, it is an SAT-type word. We're going to talk about some of those progressives who say, I can do it, but you can't. And speaking of I can do it and you can't, we were discussing during the break the situation. When we left here on Friday, Kathy Griffin was dealing with the press conference she gave and uh, the claim that she made that the Trump family was, was trying to put her out of business as a comic the the fact that she said Donald Trump picked the wrong redhead to take on and then she said that he broke her just a few minutes later you know it was just amazing that 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 happened and then so all of Friday that's what we were talking about all of Friday we were talking about the fact that Kathy Griffin held this press conference and could could anywhere any 
somebody, somewhere, take the pressure off Kathy Griffin? Well, we soon found out that, yes, somebody could. When, when we heard Bill Maher say the, the dumb thing he said on Friday night. And I'm not going to repeat the word he used because I like my job. So uh, I have questions, though, about it. So just when we thought Kathy Griffin and her, her contradictory statement was, uh, was going to own the weekend, we had Bill Maher kick us off with uh, the Saturday morning stuff. And, um, well, for, you know, then we ended up with a bunch of people on the left saying Bill Maher should lose his job because he used the N-word. And we actually had people who were playing the video and analyzing the video to say, well, did he say the N-word with an A at the end or did he say the N-word with an E-R at the end? Because apparently it makes a difference in the, in the racial crime book. Is it a hate crime or is it a punchline? What, what, what does this fall under? And so I, I don't understand it. I'm a free speech advocate. I, I said it's okay for Kathy Griffin to do what she did, but it's also okay for CNN to fire her. So Kathy Griffin gets fired from, it, according to her press conference, at least five gigs. Bill Maher comes out and says the most toxic word in the English language to black people. At least it's the most toxic word when it comes out of the mouth of a white person or a non-black person. So I, I, don't, I don't understand the hypocrisy. And we were trying to have a, actually a grown-up conversation on this during the break. Shamant and I were having a, what I consider to be kind of a grown-up rational conversation on this. And I'm honestly uh, full of uh, intellectual curiosity about how to understand it and rationalize it. And and I don't I don't get it. I don't I honestly don't get it. I'm as a free speech guy, I think all speech has to be okay. And yet there are companies allowed to say, We don't want you to say that on our airwaves, so you're not gonna work here anymore. Which is the Kathy Griffin thing. But HBO has basically said they're not happy about it, but they're not gonna fire. Bill Maher, they apparently didn't think he crossed the line of their standards. But Shamat, um, Shamat, I want to ask you, and Shamat pushes all the buttons and tries to keep me on track on time and, and also adds his brain to this crazy show. Shamat, should Bill Maher be fired for using the N-word the way he did? Uh, here's the, hey, I get the sigh. The thing is, Mike, uh, I'm I'm not offended by the N word. Um, I think it's more of how it's being used, and and like the, well, like I say, with the R at the end or the A, and it it is a difference. But at the end of the day, Mike, uh, I'm not offended by it. But it but it's how a person says it. You you could tell how a person says it if they says it in the in a racial way. Or they're just saying that like in a joking way. Okay, okay, and I understand that that they're. There are times when somebody could try and use it as as a punchline, and if someone used it, if you if you're saying now you you can add intent to the way the person used the word, 
and maybe the intent helps with uh, making a decision on whether or not it was appropriate to use that word. Yeah, correct, correct. This is, I mean, and you could tell. Like I said, you could tell. Uh, you can read a person, or at least I know I can a lot of times. I can read a person and tell how they're using, how they're referring, and and where they're coming across. You know, so I, I usually don't get offended because at the end of the day, it's just a word. You know, um, and I'm I'm past that. You know, I'm I'm working to be better. I never try to look back at things. I try to look forward. Well, you bring up a great point. Uh, are you familiar with the comic Lenny Bruce? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Do you remember his statement on the N-word? No, I don't. It it dealt with the fact that he wanted all of us to use it all the time, every day. Oh, wow. He He wanted all of us to use it so often that it suddenly had no meaning, that it would not make a small child cry anymore, that no longer would a black child come home from school after being called that word in tears and the parents have their hearts broken because this kid then was exposed to racism, Lenny Bruce's idea was say it over and over and over again until we remove the power from the word. Wow, that's because deep. It is deep. And it's, it's also uh, a point of understanding it and I think when we make it so toxic, when we build a fence around that word, mm -hmm. we then suddenly give it power. We suddenly make it true. like, oh, oh, my God, this is a nuclear weapon. And if this is used, it's going to kill everybody. Mm. Well, you and, know, Mike, the, the, the word represents ignorance, you know, uh, especially in my understanding. Um, so, I, you know, I might just call somebody to act ignorant. <laughs> Well, that's a really good point. The, the word does represent, it represents ignorance, it represents hate, it represents the darkest part of our past as a country and as people. It represents uh, a, a lack of, I think, confidence in, in your own self. I think if you're using that word, you're not strong enough as an individual to say, I'm okay just as me. Mm-hmm. And so it does mean a, a bunch of different things. But as a, as a guy who, you know me a little bit, I don't use that word. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to kid you. I have used it to shock people mm -hmm. when, when people are talking and, and they're talking about the word. And I will say it to freak them out. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I've never used it at a person as a weapon, yeah. as 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 you were saying to the intentionally hurt them now if we if we are to make it see i this is goes back to my thing about separate graduations and separate dormitories mm -hmm. i think if we allow one group of citizens to use that word then we have to allow all citizens to use it and and that seems to be the sticking point yeah, it's 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 a touchy. It's it's very touchy because at the end of the day, people get offended. People get offended over anything, Mike. You know, it, you could walk down the street and spit on the ground, and somebody get offended. You know, uh, so it's 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 hard to say because my and, and my existence, my I don't want to give my age, <laughs> but just <laughs> existing on this earth. <laughs> um, oh man, it's like. I've seen it. I've seen it on a racial turn, and I've seen it just being cool with people. And it's like it. it 
I grew up as it being hurtful. Like I don't, I don't like when I I hear a white person say it, or before when I heard, but it's like no, I just got angry. I wanted to even not just white people though. If I heard a Mexican say it, if I heard any, you know, like you, it's, you know. But as I got as I've gotten older and experienced life more, it's like I can't I can't let those little things affect me, you know. And I wish all people would be like that to the point where we could say anything and it won't offend anybody. Well, it's like you said so eloquently earlier, the use of that word as as a weapon, as an insult, as a pejorative is is ignorant mm-hmm. and it, it shows ignorance. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I know there are many in your community and many in the rap community and the and the comedy community, specifically black comics. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. who uh, who will use it just as parlance as part of their language. And, you know, they they know that they will tell me I'm not supposed to use it, but they think it's okay. <laughs> uh, and, and then there are comics like George Wallace and I go way back. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't use that word. Mm-hmm. And Whoopi n- doesn't use that word. Mm-hmm. And we actually had a conversation about it. And I asked her about it. And she said, I don't use it. And number one, I've never met one. Mm. So why would I ever have the case to use it? And I thought, wow. What a great statement. So it's it's a tough question. I you know, I, I wonder where people stand on it, if if anybody has a thought on it. Uh, I think it's more the the discussion can divide us more than it can bring us together if we're not honest about it. Uh, you said something when I asked you about it during the break, and I hope I'm not uh, betraying a trust. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, and you said uh, the the word uh, it it reminds people of oppression. Yeah. And and I said, well, you're not oppressed. And, and you know, you said, well, how do you know? <laughs> Maybe you are. I don't, I don't know how anybody living in America today could feel oppressed compared to the way life in this country was in the 1860s, even up to the 1960s, well, where th- things were still changing. I would okay. I it's, it's, a lot of these okay. words are pretty. You know, press, oppression is 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 like viewed different ways to different people. I would say I would say probably not oppressed, but uh, like, it's a hard topic. Yes, isn't it? it is. It is. It, it can be. If, you know, especially when you're not trying to use the wrong words. <laughs> Because, um, <laughs> you know, you can dance around it all day. I understand my neighbor. <laughs> we say ninja. Oh. <laughs> Is that what you say? Yeah, you try to, you oh, know. Oh, that's very we, funny. Yeah, so, you know, I, I study karate too anyway. But, uh, but nah, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's a hard topic. But I say, you know, Nobody can hold us, hold anybody down anymore if you, unless you want to be held down, you know? True. Uh, there's True a thing I, I always say that my dad taught me as it's not about being used, it's about being misused because people use you, you every day. We use people every day, you know? We get mm-hmm. used and we use people. So it's not about being used because you use somebody to get something and somebody uses you to get something. Like we, I use the blades to get a paycheck. They use me to get work, you know? So, uh, it's not about being used, but being misused. So as long as you're not being misused, then I say I'm all for it, whatever. Well, I appreciate you having an open conversation on it. It's a very sensitive topic. 
Yeah. And it's a topic that we're not going to end in one discussion. It's a topic that doesn't go away. It hasn't gone away. A uh, hundred years after we ended slavery, we were still fighting against some of the old guard that was out there in this country. And then another 50 years later, we're still wrestling with issues. So it's, it's not going away, but the most important thing is for people to be honest with one another. Uh, I, I, I want everybody to be able to say everything, but just understand that situational awareness could also bring consequences to your actions and your words. If you're not situationally aware, uh, you could pay the price for the choice of words you use anywhere you go. And speaking of that, after we get back from the break, I have to play the Al Sharpton clip from Sunday because it's killing me. It's just killing me. And no, he doesn't use the word. He just, he's Al Sharpton being Al Sharpton. And I'll share it with you next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, there's something tasty from Al Sharpton coming up, but I got to remind you about Relief Factor. All natural, anti-inflammatory, helps thousands of people, including Blaze employees, Blaze audience members, people with chronic pain. Nothing worse than chronic pain because you get up, you know what's coming. And that was me 13 weeks ago before I got my three-week quick start pack for $19.95 from Relief Factor. Started it that day. Opened it up. Bang. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. I took them and I just kept faithful to it. A week later on day eight, I stopped feeling the pain in my knees, the chronic pain. I played golf this weekend and I'll tell you what, I came very close to that hole in one. I, I feel really good. And it's all about not taking over-the-counter prescription meds or, or over-the-counter or prescription meds. No pain reliever. I take the anti-inflammatory all-natural relief factor. So that's it. What are you waiting for? 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. It's relief factor. Get the relief I got. Relieffactor.com. If you need more info, just pick up the phone and call them. 800-500-8384. Get the three-week quick start plan like I did. Now, I was talking about, I was talking about Al Sharpton. Sharpton used to be this just treasure trove of live TV screw-ups. He would never disappoint and if you if you don't believe me, Al Sharpton versus the teleprompter, uh, they are classic, classic super cuts from the guys at the Washington Free Beacon. Thank you, David Rutz. Uh, th they are just entertaining as all hell. So when I got up on on Monday morning today, very early, and I saw, oh, Al Sharpton can't pronounce Ben Sass's name. And I'm thinking, this can't, this can't be true. 
Because what happened when MSNBC took Sharpton off live, they put him on on a uh, taping schedule where they would tape his show Thursday or Friday, and then if he screwed up, they could fix it. Whereas he was live before, and because he was live, they um, they couldn't they couldn't mask his his screw ups. So this happened Sunday morning on live TV. Al Sharpton talking about the the uh, uh, what's his name uh, Bill Maher story, but he can't he can't pronounce Ben Sass's name. Ma was talking to Republican Nebraska Senator Ben Sassy. Wait, <laughs> who was he talking to? Republican Nebraska Senator Ben Sassy. He then asked Sassy if people do that in Nebraska. By the way, Bill Ma. I got to stop him. Uh, can we also fix the word ask, Reverend? If you're going to be up there on television, I know it's a cultural thing. But it's spelled A-S-K. It's ask. It's not axe. You should be a role model. <laughs> I know. He kept saying it, though. HBO and Congressman Sassy all have issued a... Po Congressman Sassy? He's a senator. I know you got it right the first time. Omar, HBO, and Congressman Sassy all have issued apologies. Well, <laughs> Al Sharpton, the gift that keeps on giving... Al Sharpton. I just hope, I, I hope that he has to do more live shows so that we get more Al versus the teleprompter. Maybe it's a Monday treat. We might bring back a classic. Come on back after the break. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, I you know, there's so much strange news. There's serious news going on and there's strange news going on. So you know me, I'm leaning towards a, a little bit of strange news. Top of the next hour, our good friend Dr. Wendy Patrick joins us to talk about some of the contradictory statements of progressives. And uh, we've got a few clips to play that show that, too. But it, it's just such a strange day, a strange moment. I'm, I'm looking at the news. First of all, it might be because it's Veggie Burger Day. Stop it. That, there's a, there is no good Veggie Burger. I've tried all of them. Because, you know, you say, well, I shouldn't eat quite so much meat. And Dr. Jorge says, as long as it's the size of a deck of cards, you're okay. But you, you never will get a hamburger, a good hamburger that's the size of a deck of cards. The best hamburgers are thick and juicy and about 8 to 12 ounces. But today's National Veggie Burger Day. No, thank you. Uh, it is also um, National Moonshine Day. 
which which would explain why Jeffy planned his vacation for this week. And this one I don't get. When you when you think of gingerbread houses, what season do you think of? Right, Christmas. This is National Gingerbread House Day. How Yeah. Or maybe it's just National Gingerbread Day, and I automatically went to the Gingerbread House Day. But uh, these national days are troubling me. There is some history that we have to cover, but I have to question uh, some more craziness. You guys know I'm a hockey fan. Unfortunately, my team, the Chicago Blackhawks, did not <laughs> did not fare well in the postseason. It was a Rough end of year, and uh, our guys are playing playing hockey right now. But watching the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Nashville Predators play, something happened that I'm just trying to trying to understand. A guy in Tennessee calls himself quote a dumb redneck with a bad idea. Gee, you're the first guy ever to earn that title. He self-proclaims, he identifies as a, quote, dumb redneck with a bad idea. That's after police charged him, arrested him and charged him for throwing a dead catfish on the ice in the um, opening game of the Stanley Cup final last week. Police say Jacob Waddell tossed the fish over the glass that protects the rink, you know, protects the audience, actually, from flying pucks. But it encircles the entire rink. This guy tossed a, a, a big old catfish over that glass and onto the ice. He was ejected, handcuffed, taken to the police station, charged with disorderly conduct and for possessing instruments of crime. I'm sorry, but when did a fish become an instrument of crime? I guess now maybe in uh, Nashville it is. He was ejected, charged with disorderly conduct, possessing instruments of crime, and disrupting meetings or processions. I guess that's the law. You're not allowed to disrupt meetings or processions. If that's the case, I am a wanted man for the things I have done at Blaze staff meetings. The 36-year-old guy... He could go to jail for six months for tossing a catfish on the ice. I, <laughs> what are you doing throwing a catfish on the ice? Uh, you're supposed to. Well, the Detroit Red Wings fans, they throw an octopus on the ice. Um, I'm guessing the Panthers in, um, in Florida, they, they have rats. I, I don't think they're throwing real rats. They're probably throwing rubber rats. And the predators have this catfish. Now, why? They say it's for good luck. They, they say it's for good luck. The guy who started it, there's one guy who's claiming it. The original catfish chucker has been identified as Bob Wolf. He, he said he wanted secrecy. But the tradition, it's known around Nashville, apparently. But... Um, Thanks to Mr. Waddell. I, how do you get into a sports arena with a catfish in your coat? A nine-pound catfish. 
wrapped up in newspaper and plastic wrap. It's just maddening. It's just maddening, but it's been going on for a while. So can you imagine you're in jail? You got six months. You get slapped with six months for uh, disorderly conduct and interrupting a, a meeting or a procession. And the guy, Bubba, is in the cell next. He goes, what are you in for? Catfish. You mean you, you tricked somebody into giving you their identity and you catfished them? No, 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 no. Catfish. What do you mean? I threw a real catfish onto the ice at a Stanley Cup hockey game. And then the silence in the cell followed by six months of very uncomfortable living, I'm sure. That's part of the weird news. There's more weird news. Remember, do you remember when Glenn Beck created the work of art, Obama in PP? It was uh, Barack Obama in a container of liquid that Glenn saved, that he said he had saved his own urine for days and was going to put Obama in inside this pee-pee. Obama in pee-pee, I think, was the actual title of the work of art. It was not urine. It was a, a facsimile of urine. I First of all, if you, you look at the urine, you would say, Glenn, you need to get to your doctor right now. If that's the color of your urine, that's a, that's a big problem. But that was inspired by something known as, pardon my French, the Piss Christ, which was a plastic figure of Jesus hanging on the cross submerged in a yellow liquid. And the artist, a guy named Serrano, Andres Serrano, created this photo of the artwork and claimed it was his very own homegrown urine. Well, it raised a, a whole lot of anger, and I, rightfully so. And now it's going to uh, be displayed once again. A four-month exhibition at the Station of Contemporary Art in Houston, Texas. The Station Museum of Contemporary Art in Houston, Texas is going to give us uh, a re-exhibiting of the Piss Christ alongside a jumbo portrait of the president. Come on. What are we doing? Serrano apparently won a $15,000 award from the, partially paid for by you and I, from the National Endowment of the Arts. And the print of this lovely display sold for $277,000. $277,000. So there you have it. Uh, if you're in the Houston area, you can, you can see this man's work right there. It's a little disturbing, right? It's more than disturbing. For the people who screamed and hollered about the fact that the, the conservatives were not giving President Obama the proper respect... You are now allowing, encouraging, and doing worse than anything we saw from even the most fringy of the fringe of the far right. You are now embarrassing yourself. 
It is offensive. It's offensive to me as a Catholic. It's offensive to me as an American. It should be offensive to everybody. And we all have to have the ability to stand up and tell people it offends us. And that's part of the free speech. This guy's allowed to do it. But I'm also allowed to point out the hypocrisy, the juxtaprogressivism on display when people do this. I'm stepping aside. Speaking of juxtaprogressivism, when we get back, uh, let's talk about the people who'd say, do as I say, not as I do. That's next on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. A lot going on, just a little bit. We're going to talk with uh, Dr. Wendy Patrick, our friend who's here just about every Monday. Somebody I respect greatly, somebody who has a, a really interesting perspective on things. And as Wendy and I were prepping for the show, we were talking about juxtaprogressivism which is a, a term that I think Doc Thompson created. And it refers to it refers to that do as I say, not as I do mentality that so many progressive, progressives have. I'm not going to kid you. There are conservatives who have the same thing going on. But the do as I say, not as I do Mercedes Maoist limousine liberal seems to be infecting the progressive community, the left side of the aisle, more than the right side of the aisle. And it's easier to identify. And it was so easy to do just that. This, this past weekend, after, after the president pulled us out of the climate agreement, and you saw a general meltdown by progressives, not just elected progressives, but by celebrity progressives, superstar business progressives from every walk of, of life. You had Hollywood, you had industry, you had retired billionaires, you had foreigners, you had friends of the Obamas like Richard Branson. You had, uh, what's his name, Elon Musk, who said, I, if you're going to pull out of this accord, I'm going to take my toys and go home. He basically said, I'm leaving the president's economic council. So much for having creative differences and still being able to work alongside of one another. So much for demanding bipartisanism, as long as you agree with me. Tucker Carlson, who I don't give a lot of time to because I've, I just haven't spent a lot of time watching Tucker Carlson. Apparently, he's developing and growing and becoming a real solid broadcaster. But this weekend, he needed 90 seconds to tear apart the juxtaprogressives out there. This was a wonderful slice of his show after the climate accord and the decision by the White House to get out of it. So obviously some of the most successful people in the world are highly upset about this, and almost none of them have bothered to explain what's actually in the Paris deal, though. But they assure us that deal is the solution to the single gravest threat this planet has ever faced, rising levels of atmospheric CO2. They're dead serious about that. You can tell by the outraged looks on their faces and the purple rhetoric. 
But hold on a minute. Can we really be sure that these people take carbon emissions seriously? Well, to find out, we compared what they say to how they live. The rule being, don't watch, listen. Or don't listen, watch. It's always much more revealing. So let's start with billionaire retailer Richard Branson. He says fossil fuels are dangerous, and he calls Trump's decision, quote, America first, Earth last. Now, on the other hand, Branson owns a DeSalt Falcon 50 EX private jet. It burns more fuel on a single flight to Maui than you're going to go through in a lifetime of trips to the shore. Interesting, right? Branson, friend of the Obamas, the guy who went kite sailing, or kite surfing, whatever you call it, with the Obamas off his yacht by his private island, probably flown to on his private jet, doesn't want us to get out of the climate agreement, but then his carbon footprint covers most of the planet. But wait, there's more. Elon Musk, meanwhile, is mad about global warming too, yet he flies around in a Gulfstream G650 ER. Bill Gates says he's deeply concerned, yet he still commutes in a $62 million Bombardier BD700 Global Express. Can you imagine the gas mileage that gets? <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio says Trump's move threatens, quote, the livability of our planet. And yet DiCaprio flew a private jet 4,000 miles from Cannes, France to New York to accept a climate award and then flew back privately. Hillary Clinton tweeted that Trump's pullout was, quote, a historic mistake that leaves American workers and families behind. And yet... Speaking of workers and their families, there probably weren't a lot of those on board last year when Hillary used a private jet to fly 20 miles from Martha's Vineyard to Nantucket for a fundraiser. Hmm. I also think Tucker, well, he couldn't have known this. Al Gore made the rounds of the Sunday talk shows this week. Al Gore talking about how he's outraged at the president's decision. Now, what made Al Gore show up? After 17 years of not being interviewed, 17 years it's been since all the Sunday talk shows had him on. And they all mentioned it. It's been 17 years. Let's not let another 17 years pass. Al Gore's got a movie coming out this summer called An Inconvenient Sequel. Al Gore's only interested in money and making money. And he made a statement on one of the shows. I got to go back and check which one. Gore said he doesn't own a private jet. That doesn't mean he doesn't fly on private jets. He also claimed he flew on Southwest Airlines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right you did. Sure you did, Al Gore. Unless you bought every seat on the plane. What a, what a bunch of juxtaprogressives. We'll be back after the break and joined by Dr. Wendy Patrick to talk about this concept of juxtaprogressivism next on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. It's the third hour. The third hour of Pure Opelka. And if it's a Monday, that means we have uh, our good friend, Dr. Wendy Patrick, joining us here, as she does every Monday. You need to know more about Wendy. So you need to go to wendypatrickphd.com and check in and see what Wendy's up to. Because she's, she's got a lot going on. Although there's a lot of stuff in Wendy's life she doesn't put on her webpage. And maybe we should 
Maybe I should stop talking before I get in trouble. You, you are always somewhere, either you're all over the country. I, do you have a private jet? Is that how you do it? No, because I'm trying to reduce that carbon footprint. <laughs> we talked more about that over the weekend than I think we talked about all last year. <laughs> do you know, it's, it's so amazing to me, and I loved what Tucker Carlson did to show the juxtaprogressivism, the hypocrisy of those on the left who scream about the planet and the planet and the planet and the climate agreement, and then they fly private jets everywhere. And I just, I, I just laugh and think, how can you guys not see this? How can you not see the irony of your own existence? That's right. You know, Mike, it's such an interesting argument because, you know, obviously as a lawyer, I can argue both sides of it. But think about it this way. So green energy surely will create a plethora of jobs. Uh, so will traditional methods of energy. But, you know, one of the things that the president keeps harping on is the creation of jobs. Now, if he does indeed renegotiate that agreement, regardless of the fact that I know many people say it's no, I'm never going to be renegotiated. However, it ends up, it's going to result in more jobs that may very well be clean energy jobs, energy jobs. And, you know, the other thing that we've been talking about over the weekend is pulling out of this Paris Climate Accord doesn't mean we're pro-pollution. It simply means he's pro-jobs and pro-keeping campaign promises. So I am heartened that at least we're hearing both sides of the narrative. Um, obviously, our hearts and prayers go out to those in London. Um, we're talking about that as well. But, you know, we are at least coming around to the reality that there is a way to have green energy, clean energy, and still create jobs. Wendy, the, the one thing, and those are all rock-solid points, and I'm, I'm happy people are actually bringing to light the fact that the president's saying, hey, we can, we can be good stewards of the planet and still keep people employed in coal industries and yes. in, in other traditional energy sources, uh, but... but Here's the thing I'm very happy about, that people are bringing out the truth on the Paris Climate Accord. When I kept hearing folks say, well, if the president didn't like the deal, why didn't he just reduce the obligation? Why didn't he lower the numbers? And from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, um, the you are allowed to adjust the numbers in your projections based on what you want to have happen in your carbon output as a nation, but you're only allowed to adjust it up, not down. That was, <laughs> that was in the original yeah. agreement. You, you can't go backwards. They don't allow you to go backwards. So, and you know what's, what's interesting, Mike, you, you're bringing up some great points, and you, you just called it an agreement, and I'm glad you used that word because that's what it is. I think there's some misconception that it's some kind of a legally binding accord that there's sanctions for violating. It isn't any of that. And the, the fact that it's an agreement means we can continue to agree to goals that, don't, that aren't to the detriment of Americans. That was the pres that's really what he was saying in a nutshell is it's a great goal and it's a, you know, globally we do want to partner with every other country, but not in a way that disenfranchises Americans. Remember, we were the ones that were paying up front, the other countries weren't. I know many of your listeners have been following in and have heard all about it over the weekend, which is great because if all you heard is the president is pulling out of an accord, it doesn't really do justice to the rationale behind why he did what he did. I also want to point out he didn't do this on January 22nd. He has did this at the beginning of June. So 
six months worth of looking into whether or not he should renegotiate, whether he should pull out. In other words, it wasn't a rash decision made on the spur of the moment, like he sometimes sends those tweets at three in the morning. It was a rationalized decision that was only made after consulting with people that no doubt know more about it than he does. Well, yes, exactly. This was, I forgot about the time aspect of it. Nikki Haley said a couple of things that I think are interesting and playing real quickly. She was making the rounds on the uh, the talk shows this weekend talking about the Paris Climate Accord. Why didn't President Obama get this through the Senate? There's a reason President Obama did this from an executive standpoint as opposed to going through the Senate, because he knew he couldn't get it to pass. It was too onerous. The regulations were too strict and it wasn't achievable, even if we had stayed in the Paris Agreement. And this is the part everyone needs to really think about. If we had stayed in the Paris Agreement, which the countries told us, oh, you can do it, we, do, we won't say anything, that's not who the U.S. is. One, we're truth tellers. We're going to tell the truth. Two, it was not achievable. What President Obama submitted the U.S. to was not achievable under our standards or any other country's standards. So this is the truth that isn't always getting out there. And that's why that's I right. want everybody to know it and share it. And Nikki Haley, rock star for me. I, I love the fact that the the administration is back to using her again. It seemed like she might have fallen out of favor a little bit with them because she was getting so much love and attention. But I think she brings a clear presentation. She even answered the question because progressives were having a meltdown over the climate change thing. <laughs> Uh, they they kept asking, well, does he believe in climate change? Does he believe? Can you tell us? Does he I believe in know, climate change? Mike, that is such a great point because this isn't about whether or not the president believes in climate change. It was based on economic grounds, not on climate change grounds. I wouldn't be surprised if his his thinking has evolved in the couple of years since he was calling it a hoax. Because you'll note that he did say during that Rose Garden speech, no one cares about the environment more than I do. In other words, he acknowledged a recognition that we've got to take care of our planet. That is head and shoulders above the rhetoric that he used several years ago. So whether or not he's going to come out and expressly admit, okay, my thinking has changed, he made it very clear that he believed that it was a bad economic decision to remain in the, in the Paris Agreement, and that was the basis. Not a climate change reason, but that was the basis for his withdrawal. And I'll also point out that in the same sentence, that he said he was withdrawing, he said he was going to either rejoin or rejoin after it was negotiated. He left to open that possibility right up at the front of his speech. I would yeah, be surprised but that if he could, does rejoin. Yeah, I, I would I would happily uh, applaud that if he does manage to say, we want to come back, but we want to come back under these stipulations, which would right. say, we. first of all, we're back to... Uh, I think it's where we were in 1994 in terms we have already cut our emissions back to 1994 levels. So we're we're the leaders on this where China and India and Russia have increased their their polluting output. So I, I think we have stats that we need to arm ourselves with and get out there with them. Can I can I change gears on something that just oh, kind of sure. cr crossed and hit me? Um I'm fascinated with the Bill Cosby trial, which opens up today, and it's already going on here because it's it's 25 miles from where I am right now and nonstop coverage on the local press. And there are there are uh, images out there. And there was an interview with Michael Smirkanish, who hosts a, a radio show in this region 
and he's also on CNN on on occasion. He's got his own Saturday show on CNN. Did you happen to hear any of the interview with Smirkanish and Cosby? Oh no, but I certainly can't wait to listen to that. Okay, I've got I've got a short clip. It was okay. a, a lengthy interview, and one of the interesting things inside this interview when and it was a telephone interview. It wasn't face to face. So when you listen to the entire interview, you regularly hear as Cosby's talking, someone breathing like this. As if his lawyer were listening on the extension in the office. I'm sure that's what was going on. But Cosby Cosby couldn't answer many questions about the case, obviously because he his lawyer was saying you can only go so far. But what I thought was fascinating was how Cosby blamed at one point racism. That's not in this clip. But he talked about piling on to him as if, you know, there was one accusation and then all of a sudden all these other accusations came out of nowhere. Here's 30 seconds of this with Smirkanish. The piling on, so to speak, is, 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 is a way, and certainly an oppressive, impressive way, to uh, get public opinion, to to come to the 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 other side. Are you telling me that they're all lying? You know better than that. See, that I think was probably the most honest Cosby was in that interview. Before that, Wendy, and you can tell me this because you're an expert at listening to these courtroom testimonies and, and depositions. Before that, everything was measured and planned and where he talked about the piling on and creating and shifting public opinion. And then when, when Smirkanish says, are you telling me they're lying? He immediately goes, you know better than that. You that was a reaction. It reminds me of the jinx. Do you remember what he said at the very end? What did I do? Of course, I killed them all. That's what it reminds me of. Oh, my God. Isn't that something? It's the same tone of voice. It's the same almost reactive uh, quality rather than really kind of thinking through an answer. But you're absolutely right. You know, you've got to wonder whether Bill Cosby is going to choose to testify. But, yeah, and, and the rest of that conversation is, almost very halting kind of thinking, what am I going to say? It's, you know, playing the victim, as we often hear. Um, it's fascinating. And we're going to be following that trial to see if justice is finally done. You know, justice delayed is not always justice denied. And any measure of justice we can bring to the victims in that case is a good thing. And I think all your listeners would agree with that. I'm, I'm just, yes, I think, I think they could. I'm fascinated by this trial. I wish I I didn't have to work and could just sit there and watch it and see because it is, it, you know, I grew up. That was the first comedy album I ever purchased as a young man. And you remember Jello Pudding? You remember Jello oh, Pudding Pops? I mean, we grew up with those. Yes. And he was the most powerful guy in television, a guy who brought NBC back to yep. national prominence. Just uh. amazing. He was so, a role model. He was, remember, Mike, America's dad. Remember that? That's well, not only that, that, Wendy, Bill Cosby was famous up in the Northeast 
for going into the locker room of the New Jersey Nets uh, NBA team and sitting down with the young black players who were new millionaires and saying, what are you doing with your money? Are you being yeah. smart? Are you, are you right. buying, why are you buying Rolls Royces and Ferraris? Why don't you buy one nice car, two nice cars, and then put the money in the bank or stocks? He actually yeah. was known for that. And to have he was a all role of this. Model. He was a oh. big role model, remember? I mean, and, you know, celebrities like that, they're role models whether they want to be or not. But he wanted to be. That's why this is such a fall from grace. It's just, it's tragic, really. And I, I my heart goes out to the rest of his family. You can imagine how tough it is on them as well. Oh, and to his wife and all. But, oh, you know, we'll see. Right. And, yeah. and now that there are almost 60 women who have come forward but only yeah. one trial will matter because of the statute of limitations. Just uh, right. a, a, amazing the way this has worked out. So I'll be watching be that one. It'll be interesting to see how many of the other ones are allowed to testify. I think only only testify. the only one who is allowed to testify is the one who gave that deposition years ago. I think that's well, the yeah, only... the, the victim number six uh, is the only one of the other accusers who's going to be testifying. That's from 1996. Yeah. But wow. again, you know, some measure of justice, even after all of these years, I'm sure that verdict, if that's the way it turns out, will be a relief to all of those women. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, they will all have their day in court with this. That's right. And that's, that's right. you know, it's it, it may not be a complete... Uh, closing of the books on it, but I'm sure it will help give them some closure in this case. Some Dr. Wendy, I could, absolutely. I could talk to you all afternoon, but somebody has to finish a show and get on a plane to Dallas in the next 30 <laughs> oh, minutes. Okay. So, yeah. I'm, tune in for Thursday and Friday. I'm doing the big show for Glenn Beck, so I'll be here. But, uh, awesome. Well, I will be listening. You might have to join me. We might have to have legal chat. I'd be happy chat. to join you. Good, good. happy to join you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Check her out at wendypatrickphd.com. She's our friend. She's a lawyer. She's a writer. And um, she's just terrific. And we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. With Mike Well, there's breaking news from CNN, and it's news that we told you the New York Times reported last week, and we reported it last week as well. Uh, this is, <laughs> come on, CNN. It's just so foolish. Last week, the New York Times said, look, the White House is not going to use an executive action to stop Jim Comey from testifying. That, that was the word that the, the uh, New York Times research and reporting was picking up. So we ran with it here because, frankly, I trust the New York Times on, the, on that topic. And for, from Friday through uh, just now, CNN has spent uh, probably 30% of its on-air time 
aside from the terror case in in, uh, London, at least 30% of the time speculating on what Donald Trump and and uh, what what effect it would have on his presidency if he were to use executive privilege to stop Jim Comey from testifying. They were breathless. They were losing their minds, despite the fact the New York freaking Times had already said it's not going to happen. But it was the only thing they could talk about. It was the only thing they'd be able to address because they couldn't talk about Guess who? Kathy Griffin, because she was one of them. You couldn't talk about Kathy Griffin, despite the fact that she she was everywhere else. So CNN made up this story. CNN was fake news. They were the, the home of fake news for the past three or four days. Aside from the terror coverage, everything you would turn on CNN was the White House, the White House, the White House. Trump is going to use executive privilege. He's going to shut up Jim Comey. What happens? How this will have an effect on his presidency. And it was never happening. Nobody in their right mind was going to see that happen. Nobody in that White House was going to do that. So it was about 40% about the climate withdrawal of, from the agreement, and then about 40% about Trump and the executive uh, privilege he was going to claim to try and make sure that, that Jim Comey wouldn't speak. Are you kidding me? That would have haunted this White House and this presidency until he was gone, and for 10 years people would still be talking about it. Just stupid. And we also said, by the way, last week we said this, how long will it be before CNN puts a countdown clock on the screen saying countdown to Jim Comey testifying before Congress? (laughs) Well, it's up right now. It's right there right now. Thursday, 10 a.m. ET, Comey testifies before Congress. Three days in case you're incapable of figuring out from Monday to Thursday is three days. CNN, you wonder why you're sucking wind. You have an unfiltered agenda. And don't even get me started on Reza Aslan, the guy who, oh, you know what? We're going to address that. Because CNN's response to the Reza Aslan controversy is idiotic. Absolutely idiotic. When we come back, we'll dive into that right after the break. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. You know, I I don't understand how people can be so foolish. I I really don't. And by people, I'm talking about Reza Aslan, the guy that hosts a a show on CNN called Believer. 
He's a guy who gets to bounce all around the world, uh, experimenting and interviewing and checking out different religions. What an incredible gig that would be if you are intellectually curious and want to know about different faiths. It would be an amazing thing, right? So why would you, why would you go out there and, and insult the president of the United States in such a profane way? Why would you call the president a piece of S? The tweet that Reza Aslan put out has since been deleted. But he said, quote, this piece of S is not just an embarrassment to America and a stain on the presidency. He's an embarrassment to humankind. The tweet stayed out there for a while, and then on Sunday afternoon he posted an apology for the crude language he used to express his shock, his shock, his terms, over the president's comments. And what was he shocked about? What, seven minutes before the president said we send our thoughts and our prayers and any support they need to the British people, seven minutes, the president said that we need to be smart, vigilant, and tough. We need, to, we need the courts to give us back our rights. We need the travel ban as an extra level of safety. Now, would I have preferred President Trump first express his condolences and pledge support to the British people? Yes. Yes, I would have. I would have said, Mr. President, if I were working in the White House, I would have pulled the president aside and said, look, look, boss, it's more important for the, the optics of this thing to get the word out there that, that we will stand by and support our British friends no matter what. In this, in this horrible time. Then you can go out and say, at any point, you can say, look, we need the travel ban. We need it. But see, Reza Aslan, he really didn't back down. You know, and especially when he made it sound like in his apology that he, as he said, I should not have used a profanity to describe the president when responding to his shocking reaction to the London attacks, and he put his statement on there. Well, it's not as if this is the first time Reza Aslan has used strong language. He, um, he said of Dinesh D'Souza last October, Hey, Dinesh, I'll say this as politely as I can. Go F yourself, you adulterous piece of ass felon. So there he is attacking... Uh, a, a, a lovely young, a lovely man, Dinesh D'Souza, who got railroaded by the Obama administration on the campaign contributions. He paid his price. He went to prison. Reza Aslan also talked about Donald Trump uh, earlier in, in May, like two weeks ago. He said, but on the plus side, he didn't S himself in public. In response to the vice president, Mike Pence, Reza Aslan said, and Jesus said, if someone tries to ask you a question, beat the ass out of them. On Sean Hannity, he just called him this piece of ass. 
on Donald Trump again in early May of this year, just about a month ago. Oh, the joy when this lying, conniving, scumbag, narcissistic, sociopath, piece of S, fake president, finally gets what's coming to him. And in February of this year, just two weeks after the president was inaugurated, Aslan insulted him again, saying right now, a quote, S sandwich, close quote, is the best any of us can hope for from the quote, hashtag fake president. So it's not as if Reza Aslan has been hiding his, his lack of a, a civil a civil approach to anything or anyone who he disagrees with. But he has a, a show about religions and looking for truth and faith and all that stuff. Now, a lot of people wanted Reza Aslan booted from his job. A lot of people wrote to CNN and said, hey, you're really, you're really going to keep this guy? And what did CNN say? Well, he really doesn't work for us. So I guess he just works for the production company that you pay? Is that how you're going to do this? Is that how you're going to get around a guy who, who has insulted the president with coarse, vulgar, and certainly not language I would say any of us would feel comfortable with using in front of the president or our parents or little kids? That's how you're going to protect this guy by saying, oh, uh, he doesn't work for us. He's got a show every week on your network. You, you promote the hell out of it. Kathy Griffin worked for you one night a year. And you had no problem in blowing her out. This guy's easily as offensive. I wonder how CNN's fans, I wonder if there's going to be anybody watching it. And maybe, maybe they're okay. Maybe they're okay with, uh, with Reza Aslan being this way because maybe they have to keep him on because he's eating monkey brains on his show and maybe his brain is gone. I'm just saying. He's a monkey brain eater. I'm not going to get vulgar to describe Reza Aslan. But you know what, CNN, you think we're stupid? Do you really think we're that stupid that we don't understand what you're doing here? You're giving this guy a free pass. You're giving him an absolute free pass for whatever reason. But you, you fired Kathy Griffin in a minute. And that was your right to do it. But if it's all about speech... How is what he said any less offensive with the continuing attacks against the president, calling him a fake president, calling him a piece of S and more and worse? So maybe they're just protecting a guy who's sick because he ate brains, human brains, actually. It wasn't monkey brains, as I originally thought, but he ate human brains when he was investigating and reporting on a cannibalistic Hindu sect. Maybe if they fired him, CNN would be accused of Islamophobia. And we certainly can't have that. Now, can we? Just want you to know the kind of people that CNN's hiring. 
he's allowed to say whatever he wants, but the free market will decide if he's worth keeping around. And speaking of people who are uh, doing dumb and stupid things, uh, I haven't, there's a couple of stories out there we need to follow. And this one, I'm hoping there's audio from this. This one uh, involves a Debbie, what's her name, Schultz, Congresswoman from Florida's 23rd District and the former chair of the DNC. Although it appears that that's still on her, on her um, uh, Twitter bio. Yes, yes, chair of the Democratic National Committee. Didn't she lose that gig? Correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't that title belong to Tom Perez? Debbie, what's her name? Schultz. She got bounced uh, at the convention and then she got that lucrative job inside the Hillary Clinton campaign. Hmm. Interesting. But uh, apparently uh, Debbie, what's her name? Schultz uh, is doing something silly. There is a, uh, a law firm, Beck and Lee trial lawyers accusing Schultz of using a voice changer and calling the law firm that's suing the DNC. The defense counsel in this in this suit writes, at 4.54 today, an individual called our law office from, and they give out the number, see attached photo of the caller ID. It has the caller ID picture. The caller refused to identify himself slash herself, but asked my secretary about the Wilding et al. v. DNC lawsuit. My secretary stated it sounded like the caller was using a voice changer because the voice sounded robotic and genderless, along the lines of the voice changers used when TV shows have interviews that are kept anonymous, you know, when they process the voice. The caller concluded with okie dokie after my secretary gave the caller the public information about the case. When the call ended, they Google searched the phone number and it shows that this is a number from Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz's office in Florida. Um, they're saying that this is uh, highly irregular and they will be filing the instant email with the court forthwith. I just wonder, I just wonder how long are people in Florida going to be putting up with this so a voice changer really debbie using a voice changer to call a law office that's suing you and you forget to disable caller id it's pretty simple all you have to do is star 67 but i guess your juxta progressivism wouldn't remind you to do that michael pelka stepping aside when we get back Oh, you know, I'm supposed to get on a plane in a little bit, and somebody just sent me a story that's really got me concerned. Uh, I'll either get to the American Airlines story or the reason the tech conference was canceled. It has something to do with the two words, social justice. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, I got bad news for some of you people. Bad news, bad news. If you were headed to, uh, if you were... If you're headed to Electron Electron Conference, uh, you better change your plans. This is one of those tech conferences, and I have to thank our friends over at Heat Street for sending this to me. I've asked them to keep me apprised of stories that especially deal with social justice warriors. The tech conference has uh, called itself off. Because they don't have a, a speaker lineup that's diverse enough to follow their own principles. So they have suspended pending a more diverse set of speakers after complaints that there were too many white men. Sure, that's fine. But why don't you add some speakers and move the schedule? Why cancel it? Why suspend it? Learn, put out a statement, let people know. And they said, we published a list of speakers that does not reflect the standards to which we hold ourselves. We will be postponing this event until we can deliver a more diverse slate of speakers. How about you get the best people and just say, these are the best people. These are the best people we could find. Why don't you do it blindfolded when you don't know what color the person is? Truly. Just just give us the best, because that's what I want is the best. Social justice warriors. Thank you, social justice warriors. Good for you, you dolts. Now, I do have to I do have to salute again some folks who just it, it amazes me each and every time I hear how strong some families are. And the first victim identified in the London attacks, the terror attacks, was um, Christine Archibald of British Columbia in Canada. And her family put out a statement that just is so beautiful. The statement from the Archibald family reads, We grieve the loss of our beautiful, loving daughter and sister. She had room in her heart for everyone and believe strongly that every person was to be valued and respected. She lived this belief working in a shelter for the homeless until she moved to Europe to be with her fiancé. She would have no understanding of the callous cruelty that caused her death. Please honor her by making your community a better place. Volunteer your time and your labor, or donate to a homeless shelter. Tell them Chrissy sent you. And it's signed the Archibald family of British Columbia. What a powerful response. I can't imagine the grief. Losing a family member, especially one so beautiful in her heart and her soul, to random violence like that. But to have that response, it just shows you what we're capable of if we'll lead with love. Testudo, my friends. Testudo. See you in Dallas.